0: Today, we're in a garage, but probably not the kind of garage you're thinking of. There are no storage containers of holiday decorations, old oil stains on the cement floor, or boxes filled with your kids' baseball uniforms that you aren't sure what to do with anymore. There's not even a car in this garage. No, in this garage, there is a workbench with soldering tools and a MakerBot, a desk and a meeting area, design plans, and product prototypes in every corner. And well, there is a victory motorcycle. It seems quite appropriate for the person we're about to meet.
1: We're in my garage. I've made it into my innovation studio, my ideation lab.
0: This is Krissa Watry, founder and CEO of Dynepic and Dynepic Sports.
1: And to be honest, this is cool. Like it's much cooler than being in the house. I literally thought about like, could I put my bed out here? <laughs> like, because. It's just fun. It's nice to have a creative space that reflects me, my personality, and I can just operate and come up with new ideas.
0: Before Krista was developing products and applying for patents out of her garage, her work protected the nation and even touched outer space.
1: I'm an MIT grad, United States Air Force veteran. I'm a rocket scientist. I own multiple companies, and I do my best work in my garage.
0: Today, let's see what notes Krista Wattry has on innovation.
2: Is of Note, a podcast on innovation. I'm Laura Corder, Managing Director of South Carolina Department of Commerce's Office of Innovation.
0: And I'm Joseph Nuther, co-founder of Design Sensory and Pop Fizz. We're talking to some of the most interesting minds in the South. They're hands-on, they're driven, and they're sharing their notes on invention, funding, entrepreneurship, growth, and so much more. So I, I remember uh, driving up to interview Krissa, and we, we were driving along, and, and as we got closer to where the location was, I remember we were sort of pulling up to a, a home and wondering where we were being sent to, um, but, you know, and of course, it's one of those things where like, you know... The cover is not the book right so so what the heck but you always make those judgments anyway like okay this is going to be a bit of a challenge nope this was probably one of the most inspirational and um uh, pivotal pieces of, to, at least for me she she was so friendly and it was just classic garage serial entrepreneur serial inventor Uh, And it it just was, it was such an awesome experience. Uh, How do you feel about Krista?
2: Yeah, Krista, the only way I can sum up Krista is just relentless. I mean, period. I mean, just from a child, there was never barriers to anything. I mean, there was a big lofty goal of I'm going to MIT. I'm going to make it happen. There was never a doubt uh, at all. And I just, it's like, how do you bottle that? How do you, how do you make others feel just as empowered? No matter what their circumstances were, To feel like they can go do these things too. And I don't think she even had a good answer to that, other than she's just, it's just her. It's just the way she is. Yeah. And you could
0: feel that energy, right? Yeah. Just being in the room with her. It's almost like you were sitting there and you just wanted to go do something yourself.
2: Yes. Yeah. Like energized Infectious. like and, and I almost want to say I had a some experience driving up. I was like, "Oh, I was expecting an office of some kind or something and, you know, the the, the giant production van is the only way I actually knew that I was in the right place. I um, mean, we, we we drive back to the her, her garage <laughs> and it's like this almost But calling it a garage is almost not even fair. Yeah. This is like her her mind all over the place. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we
0: really just entered into her her mind space. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and what was probably the best of it was sitting there in the middle. There was her uh, the motorcycle, her motorcycle. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> which was awesome too. So we're going to, need to give our listeners a little cheat sheet here on all of her inventions, so that they can kind of get a sense of her story. Uh, she started out making these connected toys inspired by the Internet of Things, where she wanted them to be able to to sort of talk to each other and, and then and then co- be coordinated by an app on on a device. And those were called Sensibots, right? And then, but she she when she went to pitch those ideas to toy makers, uh, she she encountered some resistance to that. They were concerned about. The 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 way that those toys were connected and how the potentially they were protecting the privacy of of, of youth. Laura, yeah. is that right?
2: Yeah, I think that's a, a good way to summarize it. Um, you know, I think about you know one way or another, we're we're we're, con- we're consistently putting technology in kids' hands, whether or not it's age appropriate or not. We, we stick the iPhone in their hands. In fact, I even think about uh, my little niece was learning to walk wow. with a phone in her hands, and I looked at my sister and I'm like that's crazy. She's like, no, she it gives her something to to focus on and. And so it's like it doesn't matter if it's age appropriate or not. We're we, we feel inc- inclined to do it now that yeah. technology is such a part of our everyday. And so if what what Chris is trying to solve here is how can we make that safe no matter what age you are. And for you specifically, um, you know they don't have the ability to sign off on certain rights. You know when you when you sign up for certain social media or whatever different platforms, you are you're you're checking that box of you know conditions right. and terms, yeah, the, the agreement, and, right? Yeah, the, the agreement, agreement. Um, and, and but kids don't. And should not have that ability to do that. So that is what's made the toy company really hard to break into. This. So how do you how do you empower uh, a, a youth, a kid, you know, a three year old to to participate in technology that is going to be part of their everyday, whether or not we like it or not?
0: Right. And so from there, she launched into then what is now the, the sort of the 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 center of her universe, right? The Play Portal uh, product that is able to now allow for uh, a secure and private network for children to be able to engage in toys like that
2: what she's trying to solve could really it's empowering kids to participate with technology that is vital for them to understand and have an appreciation for and then also be able to obviously have an ability to move it forward in the future so just like any other educational tool technology is a part of that and the problem she's solving can really impact our youth for the future
1: in the future the entire world's going to be online right and There's really a blending of the physical and digital world. It's starting now, and it's going to be even more so in the next 10, 20 years. It was technology in my hands at a very young age that provided me the skills that set me on a path where I became this innovator. And yet, when I watched my friends all have kids, they were taking the tech, and the more educated my friends were, the more they would take the tech out of their kids' hands. And I was like, hold on, hold on. That tech is crucial to their development, to the world that they're going to live in. And they have no understanding of the past. They only know what this current world and the future. And yes, they expect all the walls to react to them. They expect all the experiences to be personalized. So we have to figure out how to solve this problem. You can't just ignore it And take technology away. That is not the future of our world. Right, wrong, and different is not the future. So we have to figure out how we can solve those problems today for a better tomorrow. And that's really why we're developing Play Portal.
0: To tell the full story, we've got to go back to the beginning.
1: So I'm originally from just outside of Portland, Oregon. So actually, if you played the Oregon Trail game um, ever, the end of the Oregon Trail is Oregon City. Uh, That game is where I grew up. Really knew at a young age that I wanted to do something mechanical. My dad was a mechanic, and he said, Krista, they don't make money. I was like, oh, well, then I'll be a mechanical engineer. And sure enough, I kind of followed that mindset, saw some early stuff on uh, TV about MIT, was doing some battle competitions in the early 90s, and was like, dude, I want to go to MIT. And I was like, well, that's like the best school. And I was like, well, then I'm definitely going there. At the end of high school, as I started to approach, we didn't have the financial means, you know, to even consider Ivy League education. And I heard about this institution called the Air Force Academy, that I could get it paid and they were top rated. And I was like, hmm. So I got into the Air Force Academy and that at the end of my Air Force Academy time, I actually got a full ride Draper Fellowship to go to MIT, this time on the taxpayer's dollar as a second lieutenant. I think the military is great, especially if you don't know what you want to do with your life, right? It gives a lot of functional skill sets. I had no idea. I mean, my grandfathers had served in the military. I didn't know what that really was about when I joined. But when I got there, I really excelled.
0: During her time in the United States Air Force, Krista was the chief engineer for a network of ultra-secure communications satellites in geostationary orbit. After 10 years... Krista eventually left the military to join a private aerospace company where she got her first sense of what it meant to be a CEO.
1: I got out of the military and went into the civilian sector. Knowing the aerospace side, I got to join kind of an evolving aerospace company in Seattle, and that was super fun because I got to learn from an amazing CEO who was figuring out how to grow his startup in the commercial spaceflight arena. So there were a lot of challenges, and we got to figure out how to solve them. But yeah, that's when we had boxes that have docked for the space station. We were developing horizontal space launchers. We designed one of the first constellations where at a touch of a button, the army could image anywhere on the, on the planet and within five minutes. Some of those satellites now are orbiting right now.
0: Her work at Andrews Space, now called Spaceflight Industries, included sending boxes to the International Space Station and designing and leading the development of programs for the Department of Defense, NASA, and commercial spaceflight. Krissa was a real-life rocket scientist, but she wasn't living her dream.
1: I just knew I wanted to go do my own thing. And I think it was hard in that I was making a ton of money. I was basically in charge of everything, operations, programs. I got to do design. I... And they were growing and it was like, no, I need to go do my own thing. Like I, I, I had helped him get as far, but it wasn't my dream. So yeah, in 2012, moved to Charleston and opened Dynepic. So we opened as a general product design firm, always wanted to have my own product design firm. So we were working on other folks' products, helping them bring their ideas to fruition.
0: But she seemed to keep hitting roadblocks while developing products for other people, until eventually she committed to her own ideas And the idea behind Dynepic Sports was formed.
1: I got to focus on some of the ideas that I had and try to, you know, refine them and see if we could bring them out in a a product on this planet, not not in space. And I think as I was working on everybody else's product, the ecosystem here in Charleston hadn't grown up enough that they were able to get the funding to take their products to the next level, which was frustrating because I'd worked on probably a handful of products and they'd get to an MVP And they had good proof, but they couldn't take that past MVP to get their product to market. I said, "Okay, I'm going to really focus in more on my own products and I'm going to try to put the elbow grease behind it to bring those things to market. We were working on early wearable technology. I was really interested in the connected world, how everything was going to come online. I thought it was going to be more revolutionary to our everyday life than the Internet and i wanted to participate in that so like as the nike fuel band and all those wearables started coming out we started looking at how do you do autonomous weight training tracking how do you do gesture recognition with those objects and i was beating my hands up on a tricep rope at the gym figuring out how to, i could count reps autonomously without the user doing anything and said Someone just needs to solve this because there's more performance loss in, in the handle at this gym than anybody's going to get by adding technology to a wearable. And that's when Spiral Strength was born. So went home, started molding up a rubber that was formable, it's actually thermoplastic, and came up with the cone-shaped grip design. Dynepic Sports then all started with that handle, and now we have multiple product lines around that patented grip shape. So we have tricep ropes, we have neutral grip handles that are used in CrossFit, in the gym. We have a wake surf line that features buoyant rubber grips. We have bike grips, and we just received our patent to launch our hiking and ski pole.
0: Krista was creating and building Dynepic sports around her new product, Spiral Strength. At the same time, she was also continuing her work with connected devices on the Dynepic side.
1: In parallel with that, because you can't just work on one thing, I was investigating how kids could be inspired by getting their hands into technology. We applied for National Science Foundation SBIR. So we put some of those IoT smart home kind of concepts into a connected toy line called Sensibots, and we were actually awarded National Science Foundation SBIR.
0: Uh, she she pursued a different type of funding, government funding.
2: Yeah, she pursued something, what we call an SBIR. We love acronyms in government. Uh, a Small Business Innovation Research Grant. So what these are, these programs have been around since the early 80s. It is um, the federal government's way, only way, of putting direct investment into a small business for some kind of technology need. And, and let's really challenge how we think of technology, even in this in this regard. This could mean wind turbines, the flu vaccine, uh, barcodes. It doesn't necessarily have to be something you see on a screen. So anyways... Um, so yes, she pursued one of these and and was successful in, in doing so and what's the real in my mind real advantage to these is one, she didn't even have a service to provide yet. She had a concept and and she wanted to have the ability to prove that it would work. So uh, those early stages and phases of funding are to do just that, which most angels, nobody nobody wants to touch that. It's too risk, too risky. Too risky. Mm-hmm. Um so these are these are grants. This is how this works. So she maintains all rights to what she's building. Um so there's, there's there's no debate over, over equity or anything like that. But just like any other investment, they attract ongoing investment should you want it because it's a validator. The federal government's put some investment in you. You've proven that it works. Now we're ready to jump in with you. So they're a very unique funding opportunity that I feel like it's uh, overlooked uh, if you're a small business. And in fact, these have been so successful that they're probably growing right now. It's a 2.5 billion dollar program for right. small business to go after.
0: So, so and this is great. So, so you know, I kind of want to pick it apart a little bit. Do, do you? Is it sort of stage gated? Do, do you get more money as you hit certain stages? Yeah. As part of that? And or, or and what's the process to do that? I mean, is it a very lengthy grant application?
2: So they are grants, which is why most small businesses, when they hear that word, are going to go running in the other direction. Uh, it is a lot of work. It can be a lot of work for, for quote, unquote, free money. Um, but this is why there are resources in place to help with that. Uh, they are given out in phases. So you, your phase one is usually kind of a proof of concept uh, kind of thing. Um, and, and how much that is can depend on the agency. There's 11 active agencies that, 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 that participate. Um, but your phase twos are where we're talking potentially multi-millions of dollars. This is where you've now proven that, you know, your concept will work. Now here's the funds to go actually build it. Um, so yeah, it can be millions of dollars depending on the agency.
0: Yeah. And, and in, in often cases to your point where you, you really can't, tr- unless you have an angel or you uh, you can self-fund this, you're, you're really not going to be able to prove your concept. Without the potential access to some money to.
2: Or even think of a life science company. Think about a drug discovery kind of company. It could be years before they ever are profitable, but they really rely on. So, well, first of all, we as a society rely on them. We need these things. But second of all, um, you know, it could be years before they're profitable because of the amount of rigorous testing and and as they should go through before they ever hit a marketplace.
0: Since the government funding It's expensive. Sort of them them saying, "Look, this is important enough and significant potentially as a disruptor for society yeah. that we will put money into that to see where it goes." Yeah, yeah. So it does sound like that 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 it would be helpful if if you know some of these these entrepreneurs have. Um, a coach or someone who can help consult with how to approach SBIR or SBA funding. Do you guys have that yeah, in South Carolina? we
2: definitely do. And in fact, this was uh, an area, um, everyone's going to complain. I don't care where you are in this country, everyone's going to complain that I don't have enough access to capital. I'm still a big believer if it's the, Uh, The right idea with the right team, you'll find your funding. But this was an area we felt like we as a state could be more competitive in. And so that inspired us to kind of look at our partners and look what other states are even doing to help incentivize these and support their small businesses and kind of gave rise to what we now call three phase. Um, this is literally a place where you can go as a small business and be accepted into a por- portfolio to get help with your SBIR application. And it's really more than just the, did you check all the boxes? No, this is really to help you navigate the nuances against uh, with all the different agencies or as our, our consultants would say, are you telling your story the right way uh, for the agency? Um and then even helping you, probably there's a good chance you should be applying for multiple agencies at a time. So there's a lot of strategy and thought behind it, and um, and also along with that, you know, in our state, you know, we've got great support from uh, the Small Business Development Centers or the SBDCs, where you can receive some of this kind of help. And then also, if you've successfully brought one in, um, uh, our partners at uh, SCRA, the South Carolina Research Authority, ha- actually have a matching fund. So again, we have. But our state, we have the processes, uh, in place to help you go after these successfully. But now here's, here's the extra cherry on top. Here's the incentive of now here's a matching fund to add more fuel
1: to that fire for right. what you're working on. Right.
0: And, and that is potentially a large differentiator yep. differentiator for the state of South Carolina, it is. right? Yep. Because there probably are lots of other states that have sort of the apparatus for having to engage federal funds, mm-hmm. but you guys are matching that. It
2: so the matching piece of it is, and then this again gets back to sort of how we were trying to position this resource when we we're looking at it. Uh, Matching funds do exist in other states. Um, But what is unique, what most states will do is they'll set up some kind of grant program that will allow for a small business to apply for, that would then allow them to go pay for some kind of consultant to help them. So a grant before a grant. It's really bureaucratic. We've basically taken away that step. And we've brought those resources in-house and just said, here, go use them at at no cost. Free consultant. Yeah. Yep. Right. Mm -hmm. This podcast is part of Scribble, South Carolina's voice of innovation. We celebrate and support the innovative activity across the state by connecting people to people. Visit ScribbleSC.com for exclusive interviews, tools, and resources. That's ScribbleSC.com.
0: So Krista now has capital, and she has prototypes for an already well-received idea. What's next? A pivot.
1: We were taking those in to toy companies. And they're saying, oh, we can't develop these, you know, toys aren't secure. Or we don't have the skill set to bring these to market. So we started going down the path of, okay, let's put the toys aside. Let's go be a software platform. Let's go put the screens together for what that looks like, listening to all the constituents. Then went back into the same toy company and said, hey, what do you think? And we got a few different people around the table and they're like, does this exist? We'd be buying this already if this existed.
0: So, Krissa saw what would become an even bigger opportunity, developing a secure privacy-compliant platform that not only toys, but also connected devices and applications of all sorts could leverage.
1: Our Play Portal platform, which is our first platform, solves the critical space for children. So, children are being left out of the connected world because there's very specific privacy regulation in the United States is called COPPA, the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act. Basically says if a kid is under the age of 13, before you even take a tracking cookie from them online, you as an adult have to enter the transaction. You have to verify that you are an adult through a credit card transaction. You then have to be presented with all the data you're taking on your kid and then approve it just so that they can have that experience. And probably most people haven't even ever done that experience, which means nobody is complying. right? But what's happening is there's a lot of folks that don't know how to deal with it. So toy companies, game companies. And so they either pretend kids don't exist, which is why kids are on a lot of adult, more adult focused stuff. And then there's toy companies that don't bring out the cool products because they don't have the solutions to solve it. And we really found this out when we started inventing toys and taking them our toy lines. And they're like, Chris, we're not Apple and Google. Like, we can't build this product. Like, we don't know how to build the cloud framework. Toys are getting hacked. How do we solve that? And I was like, well, I used to run presidential networks and secure communication satellites. I guess I can figure that out for you. So, and that's really why we started building Play Portal. So Play Portal is its own, I hate the word social network, it has a bad connotation, we can say family network. Play Portal is its own. So what we couldn't do, unlike the adult world where you can go use whatever developer tools you want to build your product, kids didn't have a way to log in. So we had to go build that. And that's really why we had to go build this entire Kids Safe Family Network is kids needed a place where when they logged in with their Play Portal credentials, it could go out to our servers and say, yep, it's the kid and allow them to log in. And also not transfer that data to the brands, right? So the kid can access their data in their secure pod on our servers, but that brand never has access to that data except the de-identified analytics about the child. So we had to build a network that allowed kids to have a profile, parents to provide consent, parents to be able to have control over the kids and how they're interacting through the platform. Then, in order to activate all the connected toys and make that really simple, we built developer tools on top of that a family account structure. And so those developer tools now make it incredibly fast and easy to bring connected play products to market.
0: Tools to build compliant apps and devices for kids, lockdown data, Beneficial interactions between brands and consumers. That's what Play Portal delivers. Chris's goal is to ensure that whenever you see the Play Portal logo, it's like the equivalent of the good housekeeping seal of approval, that you know it's safe digitally for all ages. As the founder and CEO of two companies, we wanted to talk to Chris about why she decided to split the two Dynepic and Dynepic Sport. And really, it came down to funding and investors.
1: When we opened Dynepic, obviously it was all self-funded. We were working to grow organically by taking in other people's projects and selling our own products. We also had the SBIR funding from the National Science Foundation. So we went to the Harbor Entrepreneurship Center's accelerator. So we were in cohort one. We really were looking at, hey, can we launch a business around this connected play? At the time we were the toy line, right? The connected toy line, we're like, is this its own business? And I really wanted to get in with the mentors that they had at the Harbor. They had Christine Osborne, who knew the specialty toy store space. They had uh, Dr. David Wyman, who was a toy inventor and also the head of entrepreneurship at the College of Charleston. I was like, all right, I need to go. If there's a business to put together here, I wanna go surround myself with these these folks. So as I went through the Harbor and I, I won the wild pitch at Dig South, it came with an investment check and it kind of came with a decision. Okay, what do we do with Dynepic? We have this sports line that's doing really well, selling on its own, and then we have this toy stuff. And we decided, okay, let's go big or go home. Let's go take venture backing in Dynepic. So to do that, I spun the sports stuff out because it was really unrelated to anything that Dynepic was gonna do moving forward. So we spun that out into a separate business and then we took investment in on the connected play side. So it's really about cleanliness for the investors that you make sure that they know what they're investing in. No one takes it lightly when you decide you want to take investment on your company, right? You go from running your company every day and sure all the financial decisions fall on your shoulders. I mean, those investors are investing in you because they're looking for a multiple X return on their investment. The day we took investment, right, it really changed my thinking at Dynepic about what, you know, the focus and the drive and the scale that we need as a company to get that return back to the investors. And so I would say, especially owning two companies, so Denepic Sports, which still is self funded, growing itself, and now a venture backed company. I, I get to see both sides of the equation. And I always recommend to people like, really make sure that you can't grow the company any other way. And you really want to be a highly scalable company before you take venture backing. Because if that's not your ultimate goal, most investors you know, don't want to be part of a lifestyle business. They want to see a large exit. I mean, if that's not where you want to go, then don't even consider venture capital. I know it's the shiny object that everybody talks about at the accelerators, but you know, I really make people stop and think about that before they just go, oh yeah, I got to raise capital because one, raising capital is so hard. It is a full-time job. You're doing pitch decks. You're always on the road. You're hearing no a thousand times. You're having to explain yourself. And it, it is definitely uh, a challenge. And we've been quite successful in the local area, raising capital for Dynepic, but it is my full-time job.
0: Krissa attributes her success to one thing.
1: What makes me successful is yeah. I never give up. If I knew how hard it was going to be to build Dynepic and do what we're doing with Play Portal, I probably wouldn't even have started down this path. I mean, literally, we've been working on this since 2013. It's now 2019. And it's been a grind, an absolute grind, raising capital, getting things scaled, getting the product together, getting market validation. It's always like, it seems like the next thing, right? We have to get excited about that. You got to keep the enthusiasm. I mean, when you're going through something really tough, you got to keep setting like these mini goals and mini goals. And we have a hashtag at Dine Epic and it's almost there. And to be honest, it's now become kind of the funny thing, right? Like, because we're always having that big pitch that could change the tide that could put us over You know, and and it is, it's like, but really, to be honest, the success is made by every single day making one small step in that direction. Everyone thinks it's like, oh, this is like the game changer thing that's gonna make me big. No, it's the small thing you do every single day that makes you big. And so I think hashtag almost there is just to keep doing those small steps and pretty soon you'll end up taking over the world. I learned that from just setting big goals for myself. I've never, you know, I grew up on nine acres in a mobile home with no bedroom, right? Like in my head, there was like this limitless life that I could have. Whatever I wanted to do, I could go do it. I've just never, I guess, seen barriers in the world. And I know, I think that's probably why even being female, like I was like, ah, oh, I wanna be a mechanical engineer. I wanna do this, I love doing that. Like I don't, I just, I just don't see barriers. I just see opportunity. Um, and I've always just wanted to go, I guess, leave my mark, but have intense fun along the way. Life is way too hard to work with people you don't wanna work with, to put up with stuff you don't wanna do. Like, I'm continually trying to figure out how to make this process and this journey exactly what I want it to be. Because when it's hard and grueling, it doesn't have to be. Like, it could be easier. And, you know, it can be fun. Even if it's hard work, it can be fun.
2: Oh, my gosh. I mean, that that's, that's really all the reaction I almost have. And even just sitting with her on site that day was take a deep breath because you're on for a ride with Krista, man. And I mean, in the best way possible. I mean, obviously a brilliant mind, but then really committed to making this an experience. You yeah. know, not just something about a business, but yeah, I want my team to realize that I value them and that we are going to make mistakes and that's going to be okay. And here we go. Like that's, yeah. we're off and running.
0: Put your seatbelt on. Yeah. Yeah. So I felt I felt like a a bobblehead at that point in in the conversation with her, where I'm just like nodding repeatedly over and over again. And it was amazing to hear her say that that hashtag almost there resonated so much with me. And I and I feel like that just because you know the folks at at the agency will know that we you know we're 18 years old and we call ourselves the 18 year old startup. You know we we still feel like that. And I think in our world, you know, you have to continue to reinvent yourself over and over again. You've got to. Uh, always be at sort of the forefront of what you're doing. but I think that's what she's sort of saying right mm-hmm. she she's just you just have to have a successful day after a successful day and and it'll build into something great and don't settle for anything less, I guess right
2: right and I, I almost feel like yeah you know, listening to her she embodies that like we can all talk about that all day long and teach yeah. it or, or whatever but it's like that is her at her core is creation period
0: yeah it's almost like she wouldn't be happy. If she weren't doing it that way,
2: I would. I would agree. Yeah. 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 And each one of these interviews, I would say, it, the core thing that keeps them all motivated is just a passion for what it is that they're doing. I mean, you could just—it was like they were oozing it in those chairs that they were sitting in that we were interviewing them. And Chris is just one of many that I hope you all enjoy in the future.
0: If you're looking to be an innovator, Chris has some advice.
1: Yeah. Well, one, I think anyone can be an innovator and an inventor. It's really just a mindset. But for those that are inspired to actually take action, which I think is the, the biggest first step, is just to, to start talking about it, getting networked and start prototyping. You got a garage, go find some hand tools, figure out how to put it together or if it's an app, go learn how to code, go find some other folks that maybe have skill sets and put together a team and just start doing it.
0: Finally, Krissa had this to say about assembling the right team and the power of authenticity.
1: I really believe in pulling together the right team out of the gate. So, figure out what you want to accomplish and pull that team together. So, I've learned a lot along this startup evolution, and I really believe if you can do it at the beginning, do it. Pull the right team in at the beginning, but only do it if. Everybody offers the skill sets that are needed and you really trust them. It's more important to choose your founder or you need to be just as picky as you pick your spouse as you would pick a founder. Don't just go into business with someone and you don't know anything about them. You really have to know who they are at the core before you go into business with them. The secret tools that are in my tool belt is that you have to just be yourself. You pull out the tools that are for you. I honestly find these people that are trying to be somebody else. And I think if you just be you and you do you, that you will be successful. My name is Krissa and those were my notes on innovation.
0: This has been Of Note, a podcast that gets up close and personal with innovative people so we can learn from their successes and failures. I'm Joseph Nuther.
2: I'm Laura Corder.
0: And this is an original production by the South Carolina Office of Innovation and Design Sensory. Special thanks to Chris Owatry for spending time with us. Our producer and editor is Hunter Foster. Our sound engineer is Mike Deering with original music by Matt Honkinen. Check out more interviews, our blog, and resource area at ScribbleSC.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Ready, Set, Scribble. If you enjoyed the show, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until next time, keep pursuing your transformational ideas. Next time on Of Note.
1: Some things have changed and some things haven't. From a personal perspective, I can tell you 30 years ago, I wanted to be known as an engineer, not as a woman, because I felt like when I wrote code people would look at the code and they would say, wow, that's a pretty good code for a woman. And I I thought, you know, I don't want you to see me as a woman, I want you to see me as an engineer. And I want you to put my code up blindly against any other engineer and see it for what it is.